Well, y'all look really, really good. Let me ask just a curious question. Uh, now, now, whether you call it supper or dinner, how many have already had supper or dinner? May I see your hand? Oh, you're getting about real, huh? It's good. How many just don't eat anything anyway? Supper or dinner. You know, one of the... Uh, one of the most alarming things that I faced a number of years ago, I was pastoring down in Arcadia and was close friends with the funeral director there, and I tried to engage in everything in that community. I mean, I did that when I was in Mulberry. I went to city council meetings. I, I attended all of it. I thought, I'm going to get out there. I want to touch people. And I created a lot of friendships. But I received a phone call from the director there in Arcadia. And he said, would you do a funeral? I said, uh, let, me, let me take a look. He said, here's when it is. He said, now, no, Pastor, it won't be long. He said, this is a carny. They have a place where they, he lives out here. He has no family. Uh, the people he worked here for, uh, they've gone back to the north, and there won't be anybody at the funeral. I'm asking a couple of my guys to come just so he'd have somebody there besides just the two of us. I thought to myself, what a tragedy. To have lived your entire life, he was not an old man, probably 50, 55. How many know that's not old? Say amen. amen. He wasn't an old man. He just had never had a focus, apparently, in his life. And his life unfolded one day at a time. And before you know it, one week turns to two weeks and life just unfolds and there you are. And they found him dead in the little shack that someone gave him to live in all alone. I'll never forget as I spoke because my uh, nature is this. I'm going to give him the best I've got. I'm not going to shortchange him. I told the funeral director, I'm not going to give just a little mamby-pamby I want you to know this man deserves somebody to speak. He lived his life. I don't know if he was a Christian or not. I hope and pray that he was. Why don't we give it everything I have? Because I would want somebody to do that for me if I were in his shoes. I hear constantly of individuals dying. And we know that because of COVID and the restrictions that many individuals have died because of COVID and otherwise, and died alone. Had no family member there to be able to talk with them, to pray with them, to sing with them, to be able to encourage them, to hold their hand in their darkest moment before passing over. And how sad is that? Well, maybe a nurse was there, but it tears the heart of the family out when that has to happen. And my friend, I don't like that. 
I think, wow, no person ought to die alone without somebody that's close to them. Amen? And understand all the restrictions. But if I had my way, somebody would be there. And how unfortunate is that to have lived your life, and of course with a close-knit family, being told, hey, you can't be there. It's not possible. Tonight I want to talk about the subject that I hope will impact all of us, and I call it cultivate friendship. That friendship is something that we all ought to have, and our text reveals that unique relationship between David and Jonathan. They were two special, special friends. The story is intriguing to say the least as you read the story. They should have never been friends. They should have been arch enemies. The odds were completely against them having anything in common. Jonathan was of royalty, Saul's son. David wasn't. Jonathan was a high-profile person. People knew him. David was not. Jonathan had an excellent education, the best schools. David didn't. Jonathan had many servants. David didn't. Jonathan was used to the finer things of life. David wasn't. Jonathan was trained as a military leader, but David had no military training. And Jonathan was designated to be the future leader, to follow in the footsteps of his dad, but not David. They were from the opposite side of the tracks. They had no idea what each other's world looked like. And yet, they became friends that the Bible records significant. And if the Bible records it significant, I thought in the process, we'd take a look at it. I have many wonderful friends. The two that I've been close to over the years both died. One was older than me, Hugh Wilder, was probably 20 years older and was very, very close. He and Sherry were our dearest friends, and one day he reached that place that that he died. I preached his funeral and said, God, you've taken a friend. Another friend of mine, younger than I am, died this past Valentine's Day or Halloween. That was Randy Valamont. And Randy died still today. I think, well, I wonder what he's doing through the COVID. Pick up, call. No, he's not going to answer. Two individuals that I could communicate, we had things in common, pastoring churches in ministry, different councils together. I have other close friends, one being Larry Dobbs. There's a dear and close friend from the get-go here. Held me up, encouraged me, and there are many. But not many people have what's considered to be, if you're a male, a brother in the Lord. If you're a female, a sister in the Lord, that you know that you can lean on and count on. Well, I have my wife, certainly. Everybody's spouse ought to be a best friend. We understand that. And friendships are to be valued. And why is that important as a Christian? 
In 1 Samuel 18, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. You know, it's sad in the commentary of today's culture that communication is big, it's huge, it's expansive, and yet we are more lonely in our nation now than we have ever been. Unlike years ago when you had a front porch and in the neighborhood and people would sit on the front porch and they shared with one another, they viewed one another almost daily, had something in common, but today very few times do we reach out to meet our neighbor, to talk to them, to share with them because, hey, they're busy. The door's locked. The lights are dim, and it's difficult. But we know that in this time being lonely, how should we behave and react? John 14, 18 said, here's what Jesus identifies as a good friend. And he says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And here's what he meant. When you need me, I will be there. When you need me, I'll be there. It is the relationship of favor with one another. Brother, you know, if I hear from you, I will come running. And I won't bail after we've had prayer. I will stay until there's peace and there's a solution through the problem. Very few people have that kind of a friend. And there's a reason why. Our text says that Jonathan and David's souls were knit together. You see, friendship, to have that close friendship, you don't see a gender difference. You don't see a skin pigmentation difference. You don't see an educational difference or an economical difference. Uh, We know that Jonathan had money, education. David had none. You don't see social differences. You just know that, that you blend, that you communicate. There is an unspoken relationship that you feel. Friendship looks beyond the potential boundaries and says, hey, if you and I can get together, I'd like to be your friend. Now, let me say this. Don't ever expect to have a perfect friendship. Amen? Why? Because the two involved in the friendship are not perfect. Let me say it again. Don't ever expect to have a perfect friendship. Your friend, even your best friend, is going to disappoint you, going to forget your birthday, might be rude to you, will not return a phone call, won't answer the Facebook. Don't write them off. Work harder by the grace of God. The Scripture is very plain about the reason some don't have friends. Proverbs 18, 24, a man of many companions may come to ruin And then he moves on and says, but you must show yourself friendly. If you want friends, be what? Be friendly. You want friends? Be friendly. Be friendly. Go out of your way. Take that opportunity for friendship to exist. It must be initiated and cultivated by by someone. Jonathan was the initiator in this relationship. He looked beyond all the barriers that existed and made a commitment. 
And there are three steps often toward initiating a friendship. Number one, you, you, he stepped out of his element. He said, I'm stepping out of my element into David's element. He became vulnerable. He said, it's worth an effort to try. I might get hurt, but I'm willing to become vulnerable in order to have that relationship. And he made a personal commitment that had the potential to cost him his relationship with his father. But his friendship, according to the Bible, was ordained of God for the benefit of Jonathan and David. So what did Jonathan do? It is a scene that is remarkable. It's better than any Hallmark movie you've ever seen. 1 Samuel 18, Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. You see, there are people all around us who are afraid and lonely and suspicious. But God has given us His love as Christians, and we should be cultivating friends around us for the gospel's sake. When Jonathan gave him the rope, everything that was precious that represented Jonathan he gave to David. He said, I am, I am unburdening myself of any prestige or pride. And here it is. I want to give it to you. I want to give it to you. One of the remarkable stories is a friend of mine, a young minister. I knew his father before he was ever born, but when he was born, he, of course, was doing a great job of pastoring a church, but he came down with kidney failure. And when he came down with kidney failure, he uh, needed a kidney transplant. And the wonderful, wonderful circumstance, his wife said, test me. No, darling, you're the mom of our kids. No, test me. They tested her. When they tested her, she had a perfect match to be able to give her husband one of her kidneys. Now you think that over and you think, wow, what kind of sacrifice was that? And yet we know that Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, made himself vulnerable, stepped out of his glory to come down here to become a friend to us that sticks closer than a brother. Friendship will cost you time and money. Somebody say amen. Time and money. Because if we're having friendships, we have them with people that may not necessarily be a person that say, hey, they go to my church. They may not. David describes most people in our world in Psalms 142.4. Here's what he says. Look at my right and see no one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. This is, this, is, this is the psalmist. No one cares for my life. No one. It is amazing. All of us from time to time get in trouble. And from time to time, we get off our fast ride. We get off our pedestal and the pinnacle. And we get in trouble 
and we're no longer on the pedestal. And you look around and you find out how many true friends you have when you're not on the top anymore. And I have witnessed, for example, Edith Hicks, the pouring in of the emails and the testimonies of this little tiny pint-sized woman who younger and older said she was a friend to me. She was faithful. Friendships are to be wisely transparent. Wisely transparent for Samuel 19 too. And warned him, my father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you, David. Be on your guard tomorrow morning and go into hiding and stay there. The intensity of their friendship. Jonathan realized that his father was going to try to kill David. And he placed his own relationship with his father at risk. He was honest with himself and with David. In any relationship worth having, honesty and sacrifice will be a must. Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron and no man sharpens another. Friendships need to be transparent with one another. Friendships, if we see one going awry, making a decision or having a challenge, we should have the kind of relation, iron sharpens iron. Hey, you need to pull back on that. You, you, you need to wait a minute there. You're getting a little two out there, you know. Come on back in line here. And if that friendship has been cultivated, guess what? We find to listen. Iron sharpening iron means I will be honest for the sake of the friendship. Hello? Now let me tell you, sir, if she asks you, how do you like my hair? And she's your best friend? Be honest. Be absolutely honest. Darling, of all the hairdos you've had, that one just has to be the best. And you know why you do that? Because you get to live another day. <laughs> Honesty is the foundation of relationship. It keeps the barriers down. It keeps communication open. It can be moderated. It gives direction. And David, David failed. And there was another friend, Nathan, who called him into accountability. Hey, hey, David, you're running on the wrong track here. And Proverbs 1, 5 says, let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance. In other words, always listen. Always honor God. Always say, God, I don't, I don't, I don't know them, but I heard what they said. Or Lord, that's my friend. If they said it, I'm going to be more careful. You see, we need friends to be open enough with us to help us reach our greatest potential. And, and then it's important to have the friends that are or unsaved friends. And by that I mean they don't have to be your best friend, but build relationship with that unsaved person. Create, create, a, create a confidence there. Create an opportunity where, where they know, hey, he's, he's an old church fuddy-dud, but I like that person. I really do. We have that relationship because God says it's important because often we will never reach an unsaved person unless we first build some kind of a relationship with them.
And that's a fact. Proverbs 9, 8, do not rebuke a mocker, mocker, and he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. So a person that's not willing to take a rebuke, that friendship is spent. But a person who's willing to say, tell me what you think. Share with me what's going on. Finally, friendships are to be supportive and guarded. Supportive and guarded. 1 Samuel 20, verse number 4, Jonathan said to David, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it for you. Isn't that a great friend? Whatever you want, whatever you need, I'll do it. I'll just do it for you. That's one of the beautiful things that I see out of our men's group. And I hear about it a lot of times. We'll find out a need in a widow's home or, or in a single, single gal's home, maybe with kids, and just keep their ear to the ground. And often we'll go and maybe paint because some need some painting done and, or have some lawn or some repair or something of that nature. You know what that's doing? That's just being a good steward and being friends and say, Let, we want to help you. That's what friends do. That's what Christians do. David is now running for his life, and Jonathan declares to David, whatever you need, I'll do it. What about your dad? My dad's off track. Are you sure? Yeah. He wants to kill you because he's jealous of you, and it's an ungodly pride. I want to help you, David. There's nothing more discouraging and emotionally defeating than when your friends forsake you when you're under fire when you're under fire i've quite a few friends in the ministry when i i've used this illustration but it's coming to me now and i took the victory church it was uh and, and became pastor going on 32 years ago and I had four particular friends who let me know their displeasure immediately. And so when we would be at council meetings and, you know, you'd be walking along and how y'all doing? Hey, where before it'd be hug your neck and how are things going? And, and that went on for several years. You know, and Sharon and I have always, in order to survive in ministry, we've always said treat people the same way you always treated them before the offense occurred. Not going to tag me to get into my skin, into my spirit. You, you're the one that has the problem. And I'm just going to keep on keeping on loving you and being courteous and kind. And that's what we did. After about five years, one by one, they came to me, not talking to one another and say, you know, well, I'm, said, I'm sure they talked about me, but you know, when people don't talk about you anymore, you're dead. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So, so don't shun when people talk about you. But one by one, they came and they confessed. They confessed and said, hey, I had it, uh, I had it wrong. I mean, you survived five years. You, uh, you made it. We didn't think you would. We thought you made a mistake. 
We've seen the church grow. We've seen buildings go up and all of that. And then the one finally came in. And, of course, he was, he was one of the ones that would talk about anything. Some days in his life, he didn't like anything or anybody. So Renee said, so-and-so is here to see you, but he doesn't have an appointment. She said, are you studying? I said, oh, no. Let's talk to him. He came in and sat down. He said, you know, Wayne, I'm not going to mince any words. I hated you when you took Victory Church. I said, well, I, I saw you a little uncomfortable when you'd see me in the hallway. He said, yeah. He said, I, I, you know I can't hide my emotion. He said, for the first year, and I'd drive by and you had a sign out there, I'd almost throw up. I was so filled with bitterness. Just almost throw up. But he said, I'm here to apologize. I'm here to let you know I'm sorry because what I've come to realize, apparently God's hand is on you and on victory. And I was jealous and misguided. What I'm trying to tell you is this. When you maintain a positive relationship, even with those casual friends, and you continue to carry on a winning attitude, God will eventually give you favor. Amen? And will eventually bring them around, some of them around, most of the time, to give you that favor. Mark 14, 50 said, Everyone deserted him and fled talking about Jesus looked out all this ministry and now they're all gone Job said Job 19 19 he says all my intimate friends detest me those I love have turned against me I've got this sickness this pain this trouble this difficulty and all including my little woman my wife she's not happy with me right now he said, they've all turned against me. Paul said, let me give you my testimony. In 2 Timothy 4.16, at my first defense, no one came to my support. But everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. Sometimes even the best friends sometimes even those you thought you could count on sometimes those individuals that you thought buddy they'll stand up they won't stand they won't stand and how do you manage it you keep your heart clean and pure you see we understand all of us can share a story no doubt in our own lives when we were in difficult circumstances and we felt let down or lied about by a friend and then hopefully all of us could say, buddy, one time I was off track or I was down in the, in, the, in the dirt or in the ditch. And my friend, my friend reached down, my friend reached down and picked us up and stayed true. I have a minister, young man, not younger, he's older. And I find that, that they get older as I get older. And he's probably 50, you know, now. But they were pastoring a church. And uh, I, was, uh, I was 
you know, called him up one day, prompted by the Holy Spirit, pastoring a church that was really struggling and had three kids. And it was around the holidays, Christmas, and I said, How, how's it going? It's going great. I said, is that right, church doing? Oh, yeah, doing great. I already knew that it wasn't. I already knew that they didn't have enough money to pay a salary at Christmas. I already knew that they didn't have enough money to buy any gifts. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, that's good. But I felt prompted to call you. Well, we put a check in the mail. Put a check in the mail. Made a total difference in their life. He called me up after Christmas and went to weeping. And he said, I told you everything was fine, but you knew better, didn't you? Yep. Now, I don't mind telling you, not an angel in the middle of the night told me, but a little pigeon <laughs> told me. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? A little true pigeon told me. And he said, you'll never know what this means. It's great. God bless. Glad we could help. Probably five years ago, we were at a meeting. Now he's pastoring a church that runs about 4,000. Wonderful family. His kids are grown. Has grandkids. We were in a meeting a few years ago. And he got up in the meeting and he said, I, I want to say something. He said, Pastor Blackburn and Victory Church, a number of years ago, when I was in the pit and thinking of just giving up ministry, his dad was a preacher and a pastor and just going to give up. He was highly educated. He said, I was, I was being pulled to get a job that I could do more than I ever done financially. But Brother Blackman was obedient. And in the most down time of our life, he reached down. Victory reached down and blessed us and gave us new hope. And I will never, ever forget that. I thought about, you talk about paid dividends over many, many, many years. Friend, make yourself available for friendships. Be loyal. Have friendships with unbelievers for the sole purpose of trying to get them into the kingdom of God. And have some stories in your own life. Have some stories in your own life whereby you have been blessed by a friend and some stories where you have blessed others as a friend. And then if your friendship cannot t stand testing, then you probably don't have much of a relationship. For Samuel 20 says, Jonathan made a covenant with David for life. And when David heard of Saul, and Jonathan's death. 2 Samuel 1.17, David took up this lament concerning Saul and his son Jonathan. And it says that David wept. 
He wept over a young man he should have never been friends with. But as the story is revealed, David's life, based on the information, was spared by a young man who was the son of the king that God used to give a helping hand to the man who eventually would be king. You never know. Amen? Would you stand? Heavenly Father, I thank you today. We want to be certain that we cultivate and value our friendships. I thank you today that you have blessed us for a few minutes and given us wisdom and guidance. I pray that in our life, now's a time when people are under the gun. People are more stressed than ever. People don't know which way to go. People don't know whether to receive that as information or to reject that as information. People don't know where all the political persuasion is coming from. Many don't know what to believe. But we get in the book. There's just some things that we don't need to chew on. We just need to lay it down. We just need to wake up and say, God, what have you got for me today? And CNN is not a part of it. What do you want me to do? I pray that you would open our hearts. Let us broaden our influence. Let us be everything that we can be to those that might be hurting. Let us look for them. Let us, let us be available to help those. And God, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, I pray that you'll help us encourage one another in the faith. And that if we have a relationship with an unsaved person, let us keep it vibrant until we have an opportunity to talk to them about Jesus. And so, Father, we thank you. So just in case someone's not right and you're listening online, I want to ask you to just repeat this prayer. Everybody in the house and those of you online, you can say it out loud or you can say it in your heart. Would you do that? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. Lord Jesus, thanks for dying on the cross. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I repent. I humble myself. I need you. I need a friend. I need a Savior. I need a Redeemer. And you are it. So help me, Jesus. Do what I cannot do for myself. And I'll give you praise and honor. In Christ's name I pray. Amen and amen. I'm going to just pray one more little praise song here. Just worship the Lord and we'll give the benediction in just a moment. I love you, everybody. Thanks for being my friend. Amen. Death could not hold the veil torn before. You silence the boast of sin and grave. Let's sing that together, Death. And death could not hold you. The veil torn before you. You silence the boast of sin and grave. The heavens, the heavens are roaring. The praise of your glory. And for you are raised to life. Oh, come on, can we raise it up tonight?
Thank you for being here. We hope to see you this weekend. Have an awesome night.